and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is Irreverent, Faith and Current Affairs. Welcome along, everyone, to another episode of Irreverend Faith and Current Affairs. The three revs are back after a week of not being here because somebody, no names mentioned, that was me, spilled water all over the laptop we used to make this podcast. But here we are once again. The Lord has resurrected us from a sort of partial death, a technological death, if you will. And we're here again. Daniel French and Thomas Pelham are joining me, and I am delighted. I could not be more delighted to be joined by these fellow reverends in the Church of God. So, come, let's go. Let's go up to you, Tom. You're up on my screen. So, Tom, how how are you doing today? You're looking happy. You're looking you're very well, thank you, Jamie. Yeah, yeah. 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 Been... I, I've I've invested in a hammock for my garden, right? Which has been very relaxing in the in this lovely weather. Yeah, lovely. Um, so swung it between two trees and just sort of uh, reading books out there in the evening it's been lovely is it an enormous massive hammock tom uh i wouldn't say it was enormous and massive it was a standard size i don't know whether do they have a standard size it's well, nice I'm saying that because you're freakishly large so. I'm quite, well just not all of us are short and um Average. i <laughs> short um yeah, my right. son has discovered its use as is all sorts of inventive play it's a rocket ship it's a boat um you know everything you could possibly want to um so it's all been great fun those children with their lovely imaginations tom hmm. yeah well, that's it's quite, quite like a boat because it sort of sways gently in the wind it's nice yeah yeah got a boat like quality don't they those those uh hammocks and uh daniel how are you i haven't spoken to you for a few days well probably since the last time we did this actually how, how hmm. are you doing i'm doing fine jamie thanks very much no it's uh it's all going good we're in the, the beginnings of the, the sailing season so down here, um, town is pretty packed, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, takes a, a different negotiation from doing driving and what have you. But um, no, I, I love the buzz of it. But by September, glad that it's all over. Yeah, very good. Very good. Well, Daniel, look, you've had a good week and we're going to talk about your article that was published in The Spectator, uh, speaking about the Archbishop of York's comments on how the church is patriarchal and God is patriarchal and all that kind of stuff. So well done. Congratulations for your article. Uh, you've done a really good job there. I thought it was a great article. Do you know, the funny thing is, it it um, the request uh, came in in around about midday-ish and I only really had a sort of hour or two to write it. So funny when you write something really quick and you know that's a sort of stressy experience mm. it often is your best piece yeah yeah <laughs> it's the one that they, they said needed least editing so that's that's unless you're diane abbott in which case your first draft is really racist and ignorant and your second draft is not those things and it's what you actually meant oh, yeah well. absolutely yeah. maybe daniel secretly actually mean meant to write i i agree fully with the archbishop of york uh but accidentally wrote a piece of polemic against his uh statement we'll never know what he really meant <laughs> we'll have is his first now i get that sometimes if i mean occasionally if i've not if i've had to um you know write a sermon really quickly sometimes that can be really good because you just get a couple of ideas and you just sort of go for it and it's sort of you know, it all comes out in a really nice, natural way. I mean, I've had other times when I've been, been underprepared and it's just been a disaster. But um, yeah, I've had I have had that experience. I, my the, the sermon that has got the most praise is tend to from one of my congregations at least tend to be the ones I'm least prepared at because I just sort of um, I just expound the scripture in front of me yeah. and uh, and uh, and they quite like that. 
um, I thought you were going to. I thought you were going to say that they were they were the sort of um, you know. Anti- and I let the spirits anti-Roman yeah. polemic that you engage in from time to time. That, that your Christians are lapping this up. They're coming from far and wide, Tom. To hear you castigate me. Er- effigies will be burnt outside library. during tea and cake. <laughs> uh, um, Do you know? I, I had once um, an Advent service about ten years or so ago here that um, an assistant priest put together, but he wanted me to preside at it. Uh, and uh, after you know, Carol number three or whatever, it put. I turned the page and it said the vicar will now give a sermon, <laughs> uh, which was a surprise to me. So I, um, I did mention that and gave a, a five-minute sort of homilette, uh, to which at the end my wife said, that was one of your best, actually. There you go. That's it, Daniel. When, oh. it off, when it's off the cuff, it's, it's often the best. Hey, listen, chaps, we've got loads to talk about today. We have a couple of weeks, program. Couple of weeks uh, to catch up on. So let's just go to our scripture reading um, first, shall we? We're going to read from 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 17, not least because it was our reading in morning <laughs> this morning. And it seemed to be quite a nice one. Uh, but we often say the Lord's Prayer uh, before we do our reading so um how about tom would you like to do the lord's prayer of course i would would love to our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil amen amen okay i'll read it shall i sing as i've got it here two corinthians 12 oh sorry two corinthians 2 verses 14 to 17. This is from the English Standard Version. Uh, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? We are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So there we are. Quite a um, passage. Tom, you said this this struck you. Uh, it struck me as well. And I'll just tell you just one thought, and then I'd like to hear what, why it struck you. But I think that, th- you know, when, when the Apostle Paul here talks about the fragrance of Christ, you know, the aroma of Christ, to those who are saved, he says, it's, it's the aroma of Christ to God. Um, to those who are perishing, it's the aroma of or the fragrance of death. So it's like the same message goes out. The word of God, the truth of God, the gospel goes out to people who are going to receive it and be saved and come to know Christ or who already know Christ. It's like something which gives life and and um, or spiritual life to the person uh, who who's like that. But to the people who reject it, it's actually the fragrance of death. So it's a kind of, you know, the way I see it, it's like a sort of... Um, it's a description of what happens when you preach the truth, right? Some people accept it joyfully and some people will reject it and they'll be against you and they'll help, hate you and they'll persecute you, you know, to various different degrees. Um, so that's what we should expect. So if we apply that to the church, we sort of think, well, you know, we should expect some persecution. We should expect a bit of hatred. We should expect a bit of pushback and controversy because that's the nature of the gospel. You know, we, we follow a person who is crucified uh, by the Roman authorities at the behest of the religious leaders of the day. So what what is this obsession with um, with being in everybody's good books all the time? Uh, let's look at let's look at what the essence of Christianity actually is. And we'll see there that we'll always have a mixed reception if we preach the truth so that's that's what i thought 
Uh, interesting to know your thoughts, though. No, it was good. I mean, I, I'm, I'm interested in it because I um, this metaphor of the aroma has struck me a lot more recently. Um, having lost my sense of smell for, for a few years and then regained it after my operation, um, sort of, it's, it's like a, um, a sort of another. It's another di- spiritual dimension to. Um, it's, well, it's, it's like regaining your smell is like I think. Um, the sense of uh, gaining a, a sense of the spiritual world around you. So it's another layer of information that you can sort of go in on and I, um, uh, that you can react to. And I quite like it because this, this seems to confirm that um, as, as, as Paul using the same metaphor. Cause I've, um, and I'd forgotten about this passage when I wrote a, um, I wrote a sort of article for my parish mag about this sort of saying how, um, uh, how you don't realise there's another layer of um, of the world that you don't access, and then suddenly you're accessing it becomes very much brighter and more vivid. And the world is it goes from being quite a one dimensional place to being a much many dimensional place. And uh, and I think that a bit about um, that that's what in becoming Christian is a little bit about the spirit indwelling you, being able to sort of engage with the sort of spiritual side of the world um, and uh, seeing all that new information. And and it's and it's you're right. Um, that the Paul is not afraid to say this is a divisive um, uh, and uh, uh, d- divisive message, isn't he? Um, I mean, the context of a lot of two Corinthians is his sort of um, uh, him and the what so-called super apostles, which I think he's referring to here as pe- uh, peddlers of God's word. Um, uh, they um, they came to the Corinthians and gave sort of smooth talking expositions of the gospel. Uh, but that they weren't they weren't in accordance with the apostolic faith they were they were separate they sounded convincing they sounded no doubt um like uh they fit better with the corinthians world view uh they sounded like um they were easier to follow but actually they just led to death um mm. and uh you know we we are about to talk about uh, a a sort of uh, <laughs> another smooth talking person in in bishop cottrell uh and i worry that sometimes the message that he tries to conform to the world uh because he's worried about it smelling like death um uh actually brings death to christians whereas the message of christ and the gospel of love uh, actually brings life even though to those who reject it, it smells like death yeah, I think we've got a very clear theme here, Tom, all the way through this this episode, actually, several stories of similar themes. Yeah, sorry, Daniel. You were... uh, I was going to say a couple of things come to mind. One, one is, um, Tom, in your sense of regaining smell, it's a very powerful analogy. Um, uh, I can re- remember reading recently some evidence to show that people are having less spiritual experiences in the West uh, than they did in the past because we're we're so plugged in that we're dislocated from that that side of ourselves you know and we're we're less unless it unless the spirit comes upon us almost, almost violently and shakes us through this uh it's very it's very hard for um postmodern man and woman to uh, to see the things of god uh, and there's there's there, even the new age even even the new ages are actually suffering in business because of this, uh, and that um, uh, it, I, I suppose part of our work as a podcast has been able to um, uh, to give comfort to those who have been able to uh, connect afresh with God. Uh, you know, and I've had particularly in the last couple of years 
uh, maybe a conversion or religious experience, a theophany that has led them to a different view of life that has awakened them. Mm. Um, th- I, this um, this past few Sundays, I've been doing uh, a lot on on the Romans. Uh, it's interesting to see online that people are, tra- are trying to, are often, particularly of a liberal persuasion, trying to avoid the Epistle to the Romans, yeah. which I think is a real shame. Uh, and I think but how how can they possibly avoid the most complete and most beautiful exposition of Paul's uh, the the apostolic teacher with the authority of Christ's theology? Um, how, how can they possibly try and avoid? That? Anyway, sorry. No, sorry, I, sorry. I, I think <laughs> on the basis that it's it's you know it's 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 hard meat. Mm. Uh, it has the you know it presents the story of the cosmic story of salvation. Uh, to both society and the individual in, in a way that is uh, robust and radical. And uh, it, it's easier, isn't it, to take the Gospels on a Sunday and maybe pick out something and fluff it up uh, rather than actually take the full-on whack that I think that this series of sections of uh, of Paul's letter to the Romans that we've been having and... Uh, uh, and, and also to be completely ignorant mm. of the context and how, you know, for the Corinthians as well as for the, the Roman Christians, the Ephesians, that, that what they were doing uh, was an inversion of pretty much everything that was considered, you know, noble, heroic and pious in Roman society. That, you know, if you were going to take this on, you were really going to alienate yourself from uh, culture from family from friends if you were a synagogue jew from the diaspora you were most likely in trouble also uh and um i, I think it just strikes me well we're going to deal with this in a, in a minute that much of what we're getting often from um, hierarchies and uh, uh and folks higher up on the church and some theologians is this sort of watered down message which i i, I think it's disingenuous to the New Testament writers and also to so many of, of our persecuted brethren around the planet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not, I mean, it, it fails to engage with the radical um, goodness of grace as well, doesn't it? Cheap grace is, is devalued grace. In the end, it devalues the cross because it says that it wasn't really necessary. Uh, it's probably a big mistake, really. God, the eternal cosmic child abuser, Killing its its son. Let's go gender neutral just for the just for the full exposition of the liberal position. God kills its perhaps it's a son. We don't know. Maybe God, maybe Jesus was trans. We don't know. It's uh, you know it's child upon the cross for no good reason uh, because we're all actually all right and all he wants to do is affirm us in a big cuddly love. Um, <laughs> it's not Christianity. Yeah, and uh, and that will apparently bring all the hordes back in. Yeah, that's what's gonna that's what's gonna get people out of bed because that's that's really worked for the yeah. last fifty years. Yeah, uh, yes. it's um, it there's this constant, uh, and I see this quite often, and it alarms me that people don't see it for what it is. More often, this idea, um, I see it online I, uh, before Twitter made 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 it impossible to see Twitter uh, without having an account, which I refuse. You see it on Twitter uh, quite a lot. Um, you know, oh well, you know, Jesus didn't say that, and you say, well, Paul did. Oh well, uh, um, and, and the, 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 basically, the 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 um, 
at the core of this idea is that, is that Jesus and Paul oppose each other and that Paul was spreading a different religion. But that's, you know, I mean, you could believe that, but it's not Christianity. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost, I've, I've yet to actually find an example of something which Paul said, you know, that's controversial of that sort, which Jesus either didn't say or didn't affirm in some way. Um, yeah, so I think that's very relevant to the things we're about to go go on and talk about. Um, maybe we just need to, uh, we've got a lot of church stuff coming up. We've got some comments from the Archbishop of York, also some comments on the Archbishop from the Archbishop of Canterbury on how a university should um, face penalisation for, uh, if that is a word, uh, for, uh, for um, what do you call it? <laughs> penalisation. I, 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 I've been so put off by the fact that I use the word penalisation. <laughs> Discrimination against transgender people. We've also got Sparkle Creed, and we've got a service of uh, worship um, to the NHS at Westminster Abbey. So, yeah. but I just wanted to just ask: Is there anything in the main kind of you know mainstream news that we need to talk about? I was aware of the fact that there's this this kind of uh, parodic um, lockdown inquiry going on, and, and Matt Hancock. Is Goodness me! Oh well, that's annoying, isn't it? I mean, he's been saying obviously that we need harder lockdowns. What we needed was harder lockdown. You mean harder? Faster, yeah. you know, stronger, better. stronger. That's the Dice uh, <laughs> of Nottingham's three line, isn't it? Tag. <laughs> anyway, harder, harder, faster, stronger, or something. Um, yeah, that's deeper, more longer, and younger. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we just we need to reimpose exile <laughs> on and, uh, Hancock. Scoundrels, Back. Should, scoundrels should be sent off to. Um, they should be Antarctica. Not, you, know, you know, in the uh, what is it? Is it in the Dark Knight Rises when they when they put all those people out on the ice? You know, instead of execute, they say death or exile, and then they get put out on the ice. You know, that's the river, the frozen river that surrounds the city, and they have to kind of walk out on it. And most of them just like you know go you know drop down. Is the problem free- is 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 Matt Hancock would make that into a TV fly on the wall documentary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> may still be making money out of it. So there've been there've been a number of things. So so, the, so this whole. The whole thing has been, as we expected, basically so far, uh, the assumptions have been lockdown necessary. Problem was that the, the government didn't lock down early enough. Uh, you know, these are the assumptions behind that that, that COVID needed to be controlled, you know, that um, that it needed to be really, really uh, seriously dealt with on a sort of international, national level. You know, th- these assumptions are baked into the inquiry, which means that the questions they ask people, I mean, there actually, there have been a couple of, I think George uh, Osborne was actually surprisingly came off as a, a as a as something of a lockdown critic. I mean, um, but uh, saying that he felt that the, you know, that the, the, the damage that lockdowns did hadn't been properly accounted for or something, which, um, you know, is, goes without saying. But of course, Matt Hancock uh, just doubles down on on, on everything. Um, the, the, the really chilling one was the head director of the um, Nudge Unit, who, uh, who said that, um, how did he put it? It was quite, um, yeah, if people need to be recalibrated, was his exact word. You want to recalibrate people. Um, and uh you know uh to to uh, wear masks or to social distance you know we're not calibrated properly we we, we should be um and it's his job and it's proper that's his job to to calibrate yeah, there's people. there's your transhumanist awful. agenda yeah. it's awful it's just, it? I mean, it sounds like a psychopath doesn't he oh. um, i mean it's just i mean you, cal- you calibrate machines don't you you don't yeah, calibrate, you calibrate people what do you calibrate i'm just trying to think I mean, well what? anything that's um that's well usually measuring devices yeah so to calibrate a um 
uh, a pair of calipers would be one good example. You need to you need to you, need, you measure them against something which is um, known to be the right size, and then you can adjust them so that they're they're, they're perfectly in there. Anyway, the, the it's just it's just sickening, really, um, that he has anywhere near the amount of power that he has. And they, <laughs> again, you know, when when they put them all on the ice, he should be there as well. I think um, I think the technocrats should be on the ice before all the technocrats. Yeah. They're they're not even elected, are they? No. I mean, you could you could say that there is some legitimacy in in Matt Hancock's position because he was part of an elected government. But these people, they've not even been elected, and yet they're controlling us on a subconscious level. Uh, we've um, got David Davis here saying that lockdowns were ill-conceived and based on scientific guesswork, not science. He says Matt Hancock has not shown a smidgen of evidence to support his proposal that we should have locked down earlier, just as there was very little evidence when they chose to lock down in the first place. There we go. And we've also got uh, sort of slightly lighter news. Not sure it's that much more um, uh, um, sort of. I mean, it's this, uh, it's this Miss Netherlands competition, which mm. is won by a, won by a man pretending to be a woman. Uh, now I, I don't it's, know. It's, I don't. It's, it's Miss World, isn't it, Tom? I think it's Miss World. No, she no. no yeah, Miss Netherlands. Oh, is it Miss Netherlands? Oh, okay. I haven't. Yeah. Been, I don't pay very close attention. To there's this picture. There's this picture of the. Well, it says of the Miss final. Universe's hidden secret here. No, that's that's a different one. That's a different one entirely. No, I've, I'm reading what I'm saying. Miss Universe is a hidden street. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's not a man. That's not that's not referring to the same story. Apparently, there was a similar thing uh, some years ago, 2012. Um, oh, but um, not that I care that much because I, I don't know these sort of beauty contests. They're, they're, they're obviously frivolous and uh, rather ghastly. Uh, but nonetheless, is it yet another thing that a, a man has just sort of taken over and oh, won it? I mean, quite how 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 this man won it, I do not know. But um, the uh, you know the, 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 there's a picture of the. Um, the expressions of the faces of the woman uh, behind him and uh, the sort of between shock and horror, you know, it's, um, I mean, <laughs> do you know what, is there, is there nothing that, that, you know, that the men can't try and best, you know, it's just, there's no, there's no space allowed anymore. Is there, you're not, you're not really allowed to be a woman. This um, is the post-Christian patriarchy, Tom. This is what's going to happen when we yeah. see Christianity receding. We're going to see a post-Christian secular patriarchy. It's going to be much worse. It all goes back to power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and the sad thing is, is that that the male part of the species is physically more powerful, more um, aggressive, uh, more geared towards dominance. Yeah. So absolutely. you know, if, if you get rid of the Christian makeup of our society, uh, you allow this. You you give this dominance freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but this is what you get. Yeah. Uh, Alison Pearson, uh, quite strong on this as always. Um, as you say, um, uh, I don't think anyone is seriously suggesting that Cole was the prettiest contestant. The rapturously lovely runner-up made the winner look even more like a stray Grand National entrant. <laughs> but this is not about fairness, or God forbid, sorry about the blasphemy, being fair of face. Uh, that probably conforms to some now banned Western heteronormative ideal of beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's a surreal world, isn't it? If you think that 20 years ago, this would have been the sort of thing that Trump would have been ready to put the rosé on, yeah. you know, Miss World's boob. <laughs> and, uh, uh, <laughs> and, and everybody would have thought, well, you know, that's all just that's part thought, and parcel of who um, he is. You know, it's a sort of miscongeniality, William Shatner moment. And 
from now that's all gone woke. Can you imagine Trump even having anything to do with any of it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think I'm not sure that um, I'm not sure that Trump was a um, is, is a particularly ally to social conservatism. Actually, I think he sort of uh, blows on the wind, really. Um, but anyway. Um, there's yeah. Another, yeah. yeah. So anyway, speaking of the patriarchy thing, I mean, that that leads us quite nice, nicely into or nicely, if you oh. like, into the uh, opening remarks of the uh, Archbishop of York at the uh, general from, from Miss Netherlands to Stephen Cottrell. <laughs> presidential address now this was picked up now i'll tell you my take on this um just briefly before before we come to to anyone's else's in your article daniel but um so so the telegraph picked this up and then i i went and read the article so the the sort of the 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 bit in question is the bit where the archbishop york says for if this god whom we pray is father and then there's a hyphenated section it says and yes i know the word father is problematic for those whose experience of earthly fathers has been destructive and abusive and for all of us who have laboured rather too much from an oppressively patriarchal grip on life, and then he goes on to say, then those of us who say this prayer, speaking about the Lord's Prayer, et cetera, et cetera, it's not really relevant, the rest of it. But that's the bit that they picked up on. Um, right. I, 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 just just to say my perspective, I'm not saying that I think this kind of thing is OK by any stretch of the imagination. And I think it's deeply misguided, but um, it's actually quite tame compared to a lot of the stuff I've heard. Um, you know, particularly when I was at college, I'm sure you had a similar experience. Well, we, we spoke about same, some of it, didn't we? We're at the same college. Krista, Krista the sex doll. No, no, but I mean, I've heard this stuff a, about yeah, the, Lord, uh, the Lord's Prayer yeah, being patriarchal. You just yeah, hear yeah. it all the time, you know, and it's... They like know, to use the awful New Zealand one. It came off about 4,000 times. Yeah, you know, we've, we've, our, read it out, we've read it out a lot of times. Before, yeah. Someone, our parent um, in heaven or whatever it is. Our, our, so, our so it's God's actually, spirit or something. Um, yeah, so yeah. I mean, the, one the of the parent, things, the child and the social worker is what I've heard. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, one of the things I say about it is just that this is only the tip of the iceberg in terms of what, what's actually going on. It's like the press picks up and thinks, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. This stuff has been going on for years yeah. and years and years and much more extreme stuff than this. It's an aside. stuff as we all know it. We've all seen it. We've yeah. all been there. It's an, the, the weirdest thing about this is it's, it's a pointless aside. You know, it's 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 not. You know, and 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 it's it's always dangerous because of that. Like it's, he's, he's, we all do it. I do it in my sermons occasionally. You know, you make a little sub point. You know, a little kind of uh, a little just open up a little bit. Uh, and this is what it is. Um, and uh, it's it's almost speaking as if there's a sort of self evident truth going on here. But it's not as bad as the rest of the address, if I'm honest. Which which the which is the sort of what he keeps doing is um, what the, both archbishops are trying to do is make out that a unity of the church is something that's sort of abstract and not concretely founded upon the person and teachings of Christ and of his apostles. You know, uh, and it's, the, it's indicative of that, though, isn't it, Tom? Because this well, is the teaching of Christ. It is. It is. Oh, um, God, our Father. Yeah, yeah, I know, but uh, you know, in, in a sense, that the, the what they keep trying to do is um, trying to make this idea that the unity of the church is something that we that, that's a higher priority than, say, the you know the um, the uh, the, the, the the honesty of the church regarding uh, its scriptures or her scriptures or or um, or the um, fidelity of the church uh, yeah, regarding the, unity, the commands of Christ. The unity um, is an end in itself. Which it isn't. It's 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 a sign actually. A unity is, is a sign of, of a well functioning church. It's not um it's not a, a sort of something you can aim for. But it's just a side. And he suddenly goes, Oh yeah, father, problematic for those who are you know, and it's sort of like, well, many things about life um is going to affect our relationship with God. I mean, to a degree, um 
none of us have a perfect father and none of us who are fathers are perfect you know um in that sense um he, he's he's reading the analogy the wrong way around isn't he uh which is which is a bit alarming so he's sort of reading father from as a her, human father back into god whereas really the whole point of it is that uh that our fathers are akin to 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 a heavenly father and that there are aspects of god uh in that relationship um you, you know um well, I mean, I, I think Tom, just to just to come in here, I think we should let Daniel speak in a moment because he's yeah. he's published an article on this. But um, I think the the issue here isn't that he's drawing an analogy between um, fatherhood in in the earth and and God's fatherhood, um, you know, which is is uh, it, uh, provided it's understood in the right way. I think that's a totally legitimate thing to do. And I do think it's I do think it's true that for many people, uh, because of their experience of being you know abused by their father or rejected or whatever, it is a, it is something which they find difficult. Yeah, but for me, it's, for me, it's not. Hang on a second. For me, it's not that. It's not that that's the problem. It's the language around it. You know, I know the word "father" is problematic, but I mean, I hate that word "problematic." It's such a horrible kind of academic um, sort of. I, I just find it to be a completely kind of pretentious word. I, I hate the word pr- "problematic." And then, and then it's the second bit, isn't it? When he says, "For all of us who have laboured rather too much from an oppressively patriarchal grip on life," I mean, grammatically, it doesn't really make sense. And then Daniel writes in his article, quite rightly, I think, who is the us here? Is it too personal to ask what in Cottrell's history has been oppressive? Can he really claim to have laboured under the patriarchy? And it's such a strange thing. Because yeah, so it says man wearing in, medieval, medieval yeah. hat. Yeah, that's exactly uh, what I was going to say. And uh, Roman magistrate costume. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. To people looking in, it's like he's, he's the embodiment of the patriarchy, you know. <laughs> so it's like, what, what are you talking about? Like, you can't, you can't, you can't. I mean, it's to, to, all I'm saying is like from the outside, it looks like a it looks like a contradiction. Like it just seems very, very silly if you're going to be the Archbishop of York to talk about labouring under the patriarchy. So anyway, Daniel, you should or whomever, somebody else. Should oh, come. Uh, uh, <sighs> Chaps, do you do you remember like maybe the first time you theologically came across a kind of the sort of liberal progressivism uh, from other Christians uh, hmm. and what that kind of made you feel like uh in yourself i because i've i've labored over this for the last few days subsequently to writing this article on um stephen cottrell's opening speech to to general synod and it's that i can remember at the time i was a teenager you know having come to faith uh, and then started meeting, I think it was at university, students who wrote the whole thing, or de- demythologized it, yet, you know, still turned up for church uh, and had this uh, particular view of Christianity, which seems so opposed to my own uh, and contradictory to, to scripture. I'm feeling this deep unease, particularly at the kind of <sighs> smugness that came alongside with this. You know, that was, it was... Um, as if the orthodox christianity was childish and churlish uh and uh, unintellectual uh, and i i think i wrote my article in the light of in the light of that gut feeling uh and i still get that gut feeling when i mean you know if, if you've been to you know you, you can end up in a circle of clergy who are who are all of that leaning and um and it's really difficult to get conversation going forward and or, or to get any connection with them because you feel like you're in a completely different planet mm. uh, and and the schism is really really felt 
uh, and it's you know it when you know it. Uh, and I think this whole debate about the Lord's Prayer, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised in one way because it's very 1980s. Uh, and as you said earlier on, Jamie, it, the general public have no idea of, of half the stuff that's going on in the Church of England. This is, this is quite tame by comparison. Uh, and I gave a couple of instances in my in my article. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and it, it it just seems it's, it seems like we're we're witnessing a whole cohort of, of of Christians and churches who just feel that they can just be their own authority, mm. uh, and that's like watching a boat unmoored just sailing off into its its own sunset. Uh, it's it's mm. uh, it's a very surreal thing to see. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's also born out of uh, of corporate desperation. You know that they say that the um, after the banking crisis of two thousand and eight, uh, a lot of these huge corporations had to make good with the public, and the way that they did that is uh, to represent themselves as you know champions of um, uh, uh, of uh, th- these new ideological campaigns and um left-leaning poli- left-leaning woke politics and what have you and environmentalism this is a way to to say look we're really on your side and um don't worry too don't think too much about the way that we catastrophically nearly destroyed the whole western economy mm. and i think there's a bit of this happening in the church of england there's, there's this incredible desperation uh, we've become more corporate as an organisation, which annoys me. But we've also become corporatists in this other, in this kind of woke corporate sense. Mm. Uh, and um, uh, this painful, painful narrative that, oh, the revolution hasn't been pushed out hard enough, that the reason why all these young people aren't coming to church is because, you know, we're patriarchal, we're heteronormative, we're colonialist, we're not green enough. And if we did all these things and we did them really, really hard and we dad danced around the altar every Sunday with a tambourine, <laughs> you know, that they, that they'd all come back. And the truth is, I'm really sad, they will not. They might salute us as they walk past the church um, to the cinema or wherever. If they're even out of bed, God bless them. But they are. we are not going to regain the, the masses of the, the younger generations by doing this stuff. Yeah. It's, just, it's I mean, not going to happen. You, you it's mentioned- never going to work. Yeah, I completely agree, Daniel. I mean, you mentioned the Ely Cathedral. I mean, you you called it a rave in the nave, didn't you? But um, I believe you were you were corrected because it's actually a silent disco. So a big difference, Daniel. Which it's a silent nineties disco. Yeah, you should with have, ambient yeah. lighting, a DJ in the centre of it, um, using the as the cathedral's website, I, I believe says. You, or the company that's putting out these 90s discos, which they're doing lots of them in various cathedrals. So, you know, mm. coming to a church near you, yeah. uh, this is, you know, bringing out the ambiance of the ni- of 90s music. I- I'm so sorry that that I've upset the dean at 
in, in the theological um, difference between a '90s disco and trance rave. Yeah, you were you were right. You were you were very right to apologise, Daniel. It's a terrible and egregious error on your part to confuse a rave in the nave with a silent disco in the nave. Uh, so we apologise on your behalf as well, Daniel, because that's a terrible, that's just a terrible mistake to make. Uh, comments. Yeah, if, the... if only the Nicene Fathers had been here to correct us on yeah. this, you know. Be... In the past, we argued about you know the, the uh, whether the son was consubstantial to the father. Now it's whether take that and Britney a trance um, yeah. or disco. Yeah, exactly. Uh, comments from Dina Vili. I'm not naive to think that everyone at the disco will then come to worship the next day. Probably finished a bit too late for that, doesn't it? But bridging the gap is a very gentle, slow process inching towards each other. So that's his. That's what they're doing, apparently. They're trying to reach Inching up. towards oh, each other. He told other. me it was an income generator. <laughs> right, okay. Um, in inverted commas. Yeah, but it does say that in the main headline in the Telegraph. The initiative is also being launched. Yeah, so, so yeah, the main headline says cathedrals start silent disco nights to lure in young worshippers. Uh, then the subtitle is the initiative is also being launched to boost the medieval site's finances, which has a one million pound annual building maintenance bill. So it's a little bit of that thing, you know, in the Book of Common Prayer, when you give communion and you say the different like you say, you know, take you know, this is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, whatever. Take, eat, remember. It's like the two things. They kind of go together, but they're also kind of different sides of the. You see what I mean? Drawing an analogy there. Which one is it? Is it to lure in younger worshippers, or is it that thing about the one million pound annual building maintenance? Well, bill? well, funny enough, in his tweet re- on his tweet reply, which people can see on on um, my Twitter, oh, yeah. is that uh, he seems to distance himself from it being a worship event. It was just simply a secular. 90s disco all oh, right okay if you look a... at the lineup for the company this, you know it's not there's not teze chant in sight yeah that's a shame now, a, a number of us in the 90s did experiment a little bit with you know the, the ambient kind of club feel in churches I, we did a few things like i did a few things like this and you know they were sort of they, they had some success it had a place uh, and a time but um that that was very much using Christian hymns and music with, with a more kind of, you know, sonne lumiere effect. Yeah. This is a 90s disco. <laughs> you know, this is Britney hit me one more time with a bit of a trance reverb on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, Britney was Britney was also, she was like more towards the end of the 90s, wasn't it? I, I imagine this more like, you know, like you're saying, take that, E17, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. Maybe a bit of blur and Oasis. You know, for me, they're like the more sort of 90s, um bands really i can't find i can't find the dean's reply to you on twitter sadly but um i'm sure i'm sure uh people can find it for themselves hey listen chaps we've got so much to talk about we should we should mm. move on just just i mean this is just a quick one that i was somebody just shared this with me today uh, justin welby the other archbishop in our church has said that universities should have their funding slash if uh, in inverted commas trans students are insulted he's also said it about jews as well um he didn't mention Christians on there, so it's funny, isn't it? He doesn't. Um, he doesn't say Christian. Uh, if Christians face any kind of insult, then their university should have their uh, budget slashed. Um, so, just interesting. Just interesting that he feels like that's what he has to say. 
Should I read a quote? Universities oh. that allow it to be tolerated if there is systematic anti-any category, whether it's Jewish people, Jewish societies, whether it's trans people, whatever it is, whether you agree with them or not, should have really quite serious consequences in terms of their rec recognition of their authority, their position, and their funding in particular. I think that's really important. I just think it's an idea, you know, I was just being a bit sort of sarcastic earlier, but it's, firstly, as the as the head of the Church of England, I mean, maybe that's not the right word, but the rep, you know, the, the first among, among equals of the bishops of the Church of England, surely the Archbishop of Canterbury should be standing up for Christians. But secondly, it's just ideologically incoherent, isn't it? You know, anti any category. Well, what about anti Nazi? I mean, should the should the Nazis be allowed to to be to operate on campus without any kind of pushback or insult? Yeah. Or, Satanists have feelings yeah, anti, too. Anti Satanists or you know whatever it may you know anti I don't know whatever it would be like you know anti anti Stalinist or I don't you know just anything it just it doesn't make sense we obviously um we obviously protect some groups and don't protect others it's 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 um it's not a co it's not a very coherent statement but would we expect anything else um I wanted to share something of the uh sermon that occurred on the 75th anniversary of the NHS um now having said that i haven't actually found the uh, exact place so you might have to bear with me just just while we do this but essentially and i don't know whether did you guys you, you may have watched the live stream because you're you know i'm sure you were really into it but essentially it was the 75th anniversary of the nhs um oh sorry i'm just sharing my sound with you messing it all up uh this past week and of course we were all rejoicing we we're all outside banging our pots and pans um, and there was a service of worship and thanksgiving at Westminster Abbey, uh, which is a Christian Christian church. Uh, but the question here for me was more along the lines of, well, is this a service of worship to God and thanksgiving to God? Or is this more about the uh, you know worship of the NHS itself? So should we have a listen to a bit of the uh, the sermon? Um, it's it's quite something. It's by Dean of Westminster, uh, the very Reverend Doctor. David Hoyle. So let's have a listen. Before bread rationing was in place, the average house since before most of us can remember. Trying to get to the good bit. 75. Can you hear it, right, chaps? Years. Of course we do. It's a good thing to do, but it's not enough. It's a good thing to talk about the challenges now and the ambition now, but it's not enough. Not enough. We should look back and we should look around. But here in Westminster Abbey, we need to tell a different story. The NHS is not important just because it stands the test of time. It matters because it says something about who we want to be. There's something about this who we want to be. History today. This is more than ambition. Today is all about our hope, about our belief. Writing about 1948, Peter Hennessy explains, the NHS is the moment we turned the idea of kindness into buildings and jobs. He says, the NHS was and remains one of the finest institutions built by anybody, anywhere. He calls it building Jerusalem because that is what it was. It's the mm. conviction that you can begin what the Bible promises. You can see a new heaven and a new Hang heaven. on. Can we just stop? Can we stop this? <laughs> Let's just stop this. Let's just stop this. 
I mean, it's <laughs> it's waffle for one thing. You know, I, it's I like, like a chap GBT sermon, isn't it? <laughs> um, I like the bit where it says we've got a different story to tell here at Westminster. I thought, good, we've got got a gospel here. It's gospel coming. Gospel's coming. <laughs> tell the go- oh no, oh no, the NHS is the living embodiment of the gospel. It's the uh, finest, it's the finest institution, in the, the finest ever, institution ever built. built anywhere by anyone. Yeah, it's yeah. One of them. I think he may have yeah. said one of. I think he might have qualified it slightly. Yeah, and uh, and it is and, actually a a realization of the apocalyptic dreams of Saint John the Divine. You know, he wasn't. It's the fulfillment of the Book of Revelation. Tom. He wasn't mm. seeing uh, that great heavenly scape. He just, you know, he got got a bit confused. What he actually saw is NHS in the clouds. Big blue letters. Big blue letters. Rainbow, heaven. rainbow bridges, uh, car parks. <laughs> you can imagine the end of it. Even though I've gone private. <laughs> <laughs> car parks filled yeah, with paying customers. And, uh, <laughs> I, and I thought the greatest institution made by anyone was the, the universal church of jesus christ but you know no, wrong, just, wrong, wrong NHS NHS. Is better. <clears throat> it's 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 such it's such an amazing uh piece of of um I, there's so much in it isn't there that you can't you know you almost like you there's can we just listen to it again let's just listen it, it's it, hang on a second no wait wait hang on the NHS is not important just yeah. about our hope. It's all about our hope. Belief. About our belief. belief. It's about our Writing belief. About 1948, Peter Hennessy explains, the NHS is the moment we turn the idea of kindness into buildings and right. jobs. Just... So no, nothing to do with, so we didn't do that. We, 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 we haven't done any of that. That was yeah, the, 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 that There was, was no the kindness actually no. before that. St. <laughs> <laughs> Augustine, when he landed at the shores of Kent, you know, he didn't build, he didn't build probably, probably any structures actually. for the next thousand years. Probably, that probably was, just patriarchy. That was oppressive. That was oppressive patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, sorry, it's colonialism, wasn't it? No, colonial patriarchy. Yeah. Colonial. The NHS was and remains one of the finest institutions built by anybody. Anyway. The thing is, I mean, we sit there and actually we all know and everyone should know because it's in the press quite regularly, the NHS internationally is, is really poor. But actually it's really poor. It's not, it's not just that it's, it's not even up there. It is actually quite internationally. The only, the only health system that's any worse is America's and that is completely balked. You know, uh, nowhere. Is, are America's outcomes actually worse than the NHS? Yeah, they are, yeah. Are you sure about that? I, I think mean, they are. I've um, heard that the. I mean, I listened to Spectator podcast on this, and one of the, the American analysts actually said that this the NHS, in terms of many of its outcomes, is the worst in the developed world. Well, I don't, well, I don't know about that, but the the the, the, the statistics I've seen elsewhere in in the in the press have said that the NHS, the, the American, is slightly worse, but not by much. But I, I, I mean, guess well, it whatever it is, it's not. It's it doesn't remain one of the finest no. institutions no, built by not. anyone anywhere. I, just I mean, on an anecdotal no one, level, I know no I know people. It. Yeah, I mean, I know people have been in hospital recently uh, with very very serious problems you know potentially life-threatening problems and they've just been left on in corridors filled with people on beds you know temp- uh, temporary beds for hours and hours and hours you know all day through the night and you know it's been described to me as a kind of like a like a war, like a war zone or something like that i mean it sounds like uh, an institution that's absolutely mm. crumbling so i mean to my mind is just this is completely disconnected from reality reality yeah it's just nonsense. Um, An organisation that receives 180 billion pounds of our money yeah. per year. I mean, it's 
I mean, one one thing you could say is if the NHS was really as good as he makes it out to be, then other countries would surely have copied it. Yeah, of course. No, none of them have. None of them have. No one has gone for this overly. It was a badly conceived, overly socialized socialist um, response to uh, to medicine. And um, and unless we unless we start sort of seeing that for what it is. I mean, there's, there's a place for social care. There's a space for socialized bits of medicine. Don't get me wrong. Like, I don't want to go to an American system. I don't think, you know, where where unless you've got insurance uh, through your job or, or privately, uh, you're you haven't got anything really. Uh, but equally, there's not a single. Generally, the most successful outcomes in places like Germany or Sweden um, are partly privatized and partly socialized. So you you will pay a small fee to see your doctor, for example. Um, and it can be means tested. It can be waived, but it does mean that people who aren't actually ill don't go to the doctor because no one wants to. Leave. It's enough that you know you, everyone can afford it, but not enough that everyone can afford it all the time, which is probably about right, isn't it? If you got charged forty quid to go to the doctor GP, then you wouldn't go with a stubbed toe, would you? But you might go if you had a three day headache. Yeah. So you know, there are um, certainly arguments. There are certainly arguments for it, aren't there? I yeah. mean, empirical, empirical, and logical yeah. arguments. So it tends to be better because there's more money there at all stages and it tends to be much less um sort of uh when you when you've got a completely socialized system how do you measure um outcome uh and how do you improve because the whole point of the market system is the outcome and, and you know the productivity is measured effectively by by income if you're productive you'll you will be successful uh whereas you can't do that so you end up having to have a series of of tick boxes uh, that, that get more and more as the bureaucracy becomes more and more entrenched, and that's what we are now. Doctors are perfectly good. Our doctors, of, of... our doctors are great. But I, when I was in for my operation, I got asked the same series of questions eight times, or something ridiculous. It was just like every single time I went and saw a new person, they went through the same checklist, and you're thinking this is just pointless. I mean, maybe twice because you want to check it's been done, but four, five, six times, seven times, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Tom, let's, well, let's well, go to sing. Chaps. Go on, go on, Daniel. I was just going to say, um, for one member of our family, I decided to go private. Ooh, we pay £25 ooh, a month. They are seen instantly within the hour uh, and generally treated within the day. That includes operations. Uh, now, what I'm talking about is the vets, my dog. That. Mm. Uh, if my dog can get treatment the next day, why is it so difficult with humans? Yeah, well, I've, I've, one of the people I mentioned is a family member, and uh, she had a private consultation which cost two hundred and fifty pounds, but the care she received was actually the care she needed after having been, you know, really a nightmarish experience in, in the NHS. And yeah, it's it's horrendous that people are at the stage now where they're so desperate to receive adequate health care that they have to start spending hundreds and thousands of pounds on private health care because there isn't another affordable alternative available. And that's what it actually does. It means that there's no option for people. So this kind of thing about, well, this is caring, this is loving and everything like that. It's not actually any of those things, an insistence on pouring billions and billions of pounds into a failing system, a system which is failing people, um, where, you know, people die unnecessarily all the time because of this ideological commitment to a socialist healthcare system. But can we can we just listen, just listen to this a little bit longer? I just want to get some of these bits. And appointments, balance sheets, lunch and laundry, hard decisions, soft hands all making 
hope real. Make no mistake, it wasn't easy in 1948. The rows, the frustration, the compromises were many, and they were complex. Many and complex then, many and complex... Have we missed a bit about the, the New Jerusalem? Yeah, you, you skipped past it. Naming your hope and... Oh, I must have missed it. I wanted to listen to that bit. It's again. just saying it again, building Jerusalem, naming your hope, as if, you know, as, as if the NHS was the embodiment of our hope. I'm sorry, Christ is the embodiment of our hope, literally the embodied hope of humankind. Uh, and uh, there's no other hope mm. yeah. but Christ. You're right. You're um, right, Tom. This is, this is idolatry. And, you know, the other thing about it as well is that the NHS, uh, well, last year it performed 214,869 abortions. So we're we're actually idolizing a system that um, is involved in this amount of child death every year. I actually think it's blasphemous when when I think about it um, to to be having. You know, I haven't listened to this whole service, but you know. Yeah, and just wait when euthanasia, as in Canada, comes about, and I I just think it will. Yeah. But, um, well, let's let's hope we'll not. Start I mean, seeing, we'll start seeing what happens then. Yeah. It just, it, but, but I think one of the things that's interesting about this is that this really is a kind of articulated um, understanding upon the liberal perspective of what Christianity is all about. It's about having an NHS everywhere, isn't it? It's like, well, you know, we need to ameliorate the problems that people have in this world. One of the main problems that people have is that they're, they get unwell. And therefore, if we have an NHS everywhere, that's the new Jerusalem. That's their vision of salvation is literally having an NHS. That's yeah. for them. That's what heaven is. It's the social gospel, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing, you know, per se wrong with the ideas behind the social gospel, as long as it's, you know, as long as the other side of the coin is also emphasized, which is that, the, you know, the, the body is not as important as the soul and that our actual salvation is through faith in Christ, not through, you know, mm -hmm. being cured of every bodily ill and that our illness is a result of our sin that we need to be redeemed uh, by Christ. You know, there's sort of, you know, the, that's what's missing from from the, from this story. The idea that if we're all just kind and nice to each other, and you know, it's, if we go back to that sort of liberal fluffiness, aren't we? If we all just hugged each other enough, then the world would be basically the the work of God would have been done. You know, we'd be living in a new Jerusalem. It's, it's uh, a let's not forget the um, the cases where nurses who've had their jobs threatened because they've worn crosses. Mm. Yeah, or, or, uh, yeah. or they refuse to they refuse to take vaccines or whatever it might be. Mm. You know, the, this I mean, you say Tom, there's nothing wrong with it. There's there is something wrong with it in this case. It wouldn't just yeah yeah, yeah. No, you, no, don't no, just, no. you don't just add you don't just add something to it and make it okay. It's when you have it like this, when you have when you have the heart, the idea of care and love and Christian charity secularized like this, what it, what you end up with is is kind of myopic self righteousness. Which actually is blind to its own is blind to its own self righteousness. It's blind to its own outcomes, even. So it's not even it's not even achieving the thing that it claims to achieve. Ultimately, you lose. Uh, I, I was reading um, um, Joseph Ratzinger's book on Jesus recently in the, um, the Temptation narrative, and he I can't remember the exact quotation, but he says he says something like, "When men's hearts aren't right, then the outcome in society isn't right either. It can't be right." And this is this is an example of that. So, yes, so the NHS 
worshipped in Westminster Abbey. Um, other forms of heterodox worship. I mean, this has got to be twits on Twitter this week. Um, am I still showing my sound? Are you ready for this, chaps? I mean, this is in the Episcopal Church, I think. So it's not it's not in the church. No, right? it's, it's not the Episcopal Church even. What is it's it? A, it's, I think it's a sort of a woke uh, Presbyterian uh, sort of church that that is um, an offshoot of one of the big Presbyterian denominations. But anyway, nonetheless, it should, is. A... Should we have a trigger warning? <laughs> we should definitely have a trigger warning for anyone who is triggered by. Mm. Unicorns. Did <laughs> you listen? Here we go. Let's confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. The Sparkle Creed. The Sparkle I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit rainbow who spirit. shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love. So beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. Sort of goes into a weird sort of uh, paraphrase of sort of it sounds like a bit of John's like one John doesn't it at the end I believe that and then it's like they can't be bothered anymore so they just start going love is love is love kind of oh, interesting yeah. isn't it isn't it it's just it's just I don't believe in the white light I believe in a multicolored light and blah 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 um, the Holy Spirit who shatters the light into the rainbow prism uh... dads. Jesus had two dads <laughs> I know they were gay dads obviously <laughs> she's saying yeah um two gay dads and, two a, and dads. a mum and a mum and a mum yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how we are. so yeah it's, it's kind of interesting it's hard to know what to say really well whatever it is it's not christianity no i don't no. Really, it doesn't really seem like when you have to rewrite the creed because it's something that I mean, yeah, there is a link, isn't there, to to the comments in the Archbishop of York? I mean, this that's where this kind of thing is going. Like, well, I mean, I mean, you know, cultural love is love is love, so that's all just love each other. I mean, it's, it's you know, not a hundred miles away mm. from what he's said about um, sort of active same-sex sexual relationships. You know, mm. It's just love, isn't it? It needs to be celebrated, and you know, it doesn't see why that should be something that's purely part of. Um, uh, of, of a sort of um, mm. uh, a sort of uh, Christian understanding of sex, it should be broader because it's love. You know, it's not far off what he. In some ways, I mean, I don't think he'd affirm that God's a non-binary spirit or whatever. With, mm. <clears throat> I'm not saying he's this far gone, but it's you know, there there around the corners. There's a lot of stuff in in um, in common, isn't there? Yeah, it's mm. interesting on that your tweet, you quote your tweet quote Daniel. Uh, of her tweet it's i i've noticed that part of it was actually edited in that video because in the church of everyday saints bill i believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous creative and resilient as patches on the aids quilt whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder so they cut that bit out and maybe they did that i don't know to make it sound i mean less edgy or something I don't less know. mad <laughs> in in a in a hyper individual world here we are everybody is their own magisterium everyone's their own pope everyone's their own bible you know each to their own 
uh, as in the time of Noah. But, well, yeah, uh, quite. <laughs> but it's not. It's not. I mean, you sort of. Uh, it's a sort of the idea that a magisterium can save a church is. I know. I know some would say that, but you know, it's it's not possible. What what will save a church is people is faithful Christians, you know, believing in Christ. Because um, I mean, there's this one I saw on Anglican mainstream. Um, a new a new cardinal appointed by Pope Francis, um, who's quoted as saying, "Is the cardinal in Lisbon? We don't want to convert the young people to Christ or to the Catholic Church or anything like that at all." At, the, at uh, World Youth Day, you're thinking, "Well, hang on." Um, did he, yeah, did he caveat that at all, or was that just the whole? That was the whole statement. Uh, <laughs> He's written a book on kissing, apparently. Yeah, I think to, for, for the cardinal designate, the goal is to enable each young person to say. I think differently. I feel differently. I organize my life in a different way, but we're brothers and we can go on together to build the future. I mean, he could be at Westminster Abbey, couldn't he? As long as he's chucked, chucked a few platitudes about the NHS in there. Yeah. Well, I think what you can say I mean, about, regardless of what sort of, whether you have a sort of Roman Catholic or Anglican or, or low church ecclesiology, whatever it might be, I think what you can say is this kind of, this kind of secular progressivism, it hollows everything out, doesn't it? So that the actual principles that you hold to are just completely sort of um, cast aside um, mm. by this. It's an, it's just an alternative religion. I mean, there's no other way of, of, understanding it in my opinion sorry it's a cuckoo me. isn't it it's a cuckoo because it sort of it feeds off the children of christianity mm. uh and, and grows strong sort of sheltered by a church that's un, unaware that's been blinded uh and then at some point we'll just push all the other eggs out and take over it's, yeah uh, cuckoo in the nest do you find that people that you're ministering to have any appreciation of this? Not really. Where I don't know about you, Tom, but where I am, like most of the people are completely unaware of any of this. Kind yeah, they, of... they don't really care. Um, they just want a priest who preaches interesting stuff, who who helps them celebrate the sacraments, who um, who's there for them when they're dying and there for them where they're born, and uh, who's prepared to. Um, who's prepared to just sort of uh, to, to sort of be part of the community. That's what they want. I mean, they, they want a parish priest. And that's that's actually the case with people, whether they're Christian and come to church or whether they're you know, very vaguely Christian and don't really come. They're, they're much more comfortable with that. They don't want a rainbow creed. They yeah. don't want, they don't they want any of that. They wouldn't know what these words mean, I think, like, mm. quite, quite a lot of them. Well, neither do I. I don't think anyone knows what they really mean. They have, they're meaningless, which is, you know, the, the really scary Orwellian thing about the whole thing. I, I, I suppose I'm, I'm asking, are we, do we gain from the people we minister a sense of that there's an institutional capture happening? Are they I worried? To, I try to tell them. I try to make it, but it's very hard. Um. So I think some of them are aware that that things are going on at the the level of, of the kind of upper echelons, aren't they? But I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily this kind of stuff that they're aware of. I think it's more stuff that affects them practically, like um, you know whether or not their church is going to be shut down, whether they'll have a priest, yeah. whether they'll be kind of merged with another church or whatever it might be. I think it's more those kind of things that parishioners are aware mm. of. The kind of the the feeling that they're not being supported or that they you know their church might be in jeopardy or something. No, I'd say I'd say the same actually. Um, though some are aware of it to some degree. I think more, particularly more in um, that the fringes of of Anglicanism uh, mm. uh, 
And then I would say, by contrast, there, there's a very small number of of churches, often in the more suburban parts, where there are activists who are keen to promote this. But I think they're few and far apart. Yeah, that would that would happen probably more like in university towns, you know, obviously mm. Bridge yeah. in in London, places you know places like that. London they've got now, I think, where we are. I mean, we're all in fairly kind of non-metropolitan non-metropolitan places maybe you slightly more daniel but you know i'm in winchester which is probably more inherently conservative tom's in the middle of the country you're down there in stolcombe where most of the houses are empty because they're holiday homes and your your wealthy patrons only come in for a week or two a year so i mean, I, I presume that uh that Solcombe gets a lot woker as as the as the middle class londoners flee there in the summer or, <laughs> or the with, their, with their woke ideology no, I don't think so. It's not not particularly. I, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have said so. Um, I, I wouldn't have said it was that that genre. Mm. Uh, this is not. This is not. It's not North London people really on the whole coming down here. It's it's, it's folks who either from the Midlands uh, or from the banking industry in London, and and they tend to be a bit more small c conservative spectator. Daily Mail, Telegraph readers. Yeah, that would be that would be like the people in Winchester and more like that. Definitely. Yeah, and and around here as well. Yeah. But if you went to Exeter, it would be a different story. Yeah. That's the students, though, isn't it? Mm. That's probably the thing, isn't it? It's, it's the students of the, of the university. Mm. Yeah. Listen, chaps, we should move on. We've we've got a uh, exciting question the Rev coming up and, a, and an email I want to read. So um, we'll move on to that in a minute. But just to say to people who are listening, if you've listened this far then please do consider supporting this podcast. We do not have corporate sponsors on this podcast. We've not, we're not trying to sell you anything, uh, but we are funded and supported by our listeners. And my uh, money, which I used to live, is actually gleaned largely from this podcast and other stuff online I do. So please do support. It really makes a huge difference if you enjoy this podcast. So go to irreverentpod.com and uh, become a patron for only £1.50 plus of VAT in the UK per month per month and you will get a free bonus podcast uncollared we had a massive row on the last one didn't we tom uh, it was lots of fun and we got amazing feedback on that one so it's a short we row about that time yeah yeah well it was about the church your heretical views of the church anyway oh yeah that's right Anyway, it's a short podcast, sometimes fun, sometimes, you know, sometimes deep. It's, it's different stuff, just whatever we decide to talk about. It's not current affairs in the way the podcast This week, this podcast week I'm is. planning on triggering Jamie over his nonsense you, realist views. You might be, you might, you <laughs> might hear me being triggered. You might hear Tom being triggered. You might hear all sorts of things. But the Uncolored podcast is just for patrons, but all patrons get the, this, even if you pay £1.50 plus VAT in the UK per month. But you can, of course, give more if you'd like to. And all support is warmly welcomed and it helps us. It helps us run the podcast it helps me live it puts food on my table so thank you for people who do support and please if you can support us if you like the podcast irreverentpod.com you can also leave a one-off donation at buy me a coffee uh, which again is on our website reverendpod.com it's the big yellow button you can leave us a little message and we often read those out but we really do appreciate your support anyway chaps having said that it's now time for a bit of this here we go It's time for Question the Rev. And today we've got a bit of a theological question, if I may say so. Uh, it comes from a man called Aidan. Thank you very much, Aidan, for writing in with your very insightful question, which I will read right now. 
Hi, Jamie, Tom and Daniel. Thank you for the podcast. It's wonderful. Uh, I have a question about Jesus, 40 days in the desert. Why did the devil try to tempt Christ when the devil was created by God? Who is Jesus? Uh, who is Jesus? Sorry, I thought it was a se separate question. Uh, <laughs> who is Jesus? Just by the way, who is Jesus? No, when the devil was created by God, who is Jesus? Um, surely the devil knew that he was never going to convince him with promises of power. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Thank you, Aiden. Chaps, there we go. Uh, it's a good question, isn't it? Um, I The first thing... Um, is about uh just the fact that created by god doesn't necessarily mean doing the will of god um unfortunately because the world has fallen and the devil is a fallen part of creation in fact the, the most fallen part of creation so so um uh the devil was not um was not was not sort of uh in cohorts with god uh he was rather acting against him so this was i think a real chance to put god's plans into disarray because jesus and god allowed this to happen because jesus needed to be tempted as we read in hebrews as we all are but needed to succeed so i think there there could have been you know i i don't know i i, I think um there would have to have been some sort of real possibility of failure that uh, an effort of will on christ's part to do the right thing um to be tempted as we are to but to but to not be um uh, to, to not fall away from uh, uh, some from goodness like we all do. I think pride makes us all as um, you know, sentinel beings spiritually and morally atheistic for, for many parts of our lives. You know, that our, our vision narrows as to the glory of God. Uh, in Dante's Inferno, for instance, in the epicenter of hell, Everything is cold and slow rather than, you know, we imagine it as being fires and tempest. But, um, you know, Satan is sluggish. Uh, and so my reading of this is that, that the, the devil's mind is slow to catch up because of the sin that he embraces uh, and that he can't see and refuses to see the, the wider and greater vision of God, as we all do, you know. And, and I think every every occasion of sin for us is generally a, 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 a microaggression of atheism. You know, it's a point where we forget that we are in God's creation. Uh, we forget the glory of God. We forget the, the gospel. Um, and we put it aside. We sort of file it to one side and say, well, I'll just think about myself. I'll focus on myself. I'll magnify myself rather than make myself small in the good sense, in the presence of God, you know, um, John the Baptist in the wilderness had, says the reverse of Satan, doesn't it? I, I, that he himself must become smaller so that Christ must become bigger, whereas Satan in the wilderness wants to make himself bigger and make Christ smaller. That makes sense. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I think that's right, Daniel. And it, I was um, I was thinking about the. the pride of, of satan um you know satan is is um characterized by pride which and pride is deceptive isn't it It gives us an inaccurate view of ourselves as human beings and it's probably true in the spiritual world as well so the devil probably in his pride thought that he could be successful in the in the temptation of christ so i think that that you know when um aiden says uh he must surely have known that he wasn't going to succeed or i'm just trying to see where he said it mm -hmm. uh, knew he was never going to convince him um I don't think the devil did know that. And just a, just a. Well, I think um, I think people, yeah, often think that other people are going to act in the same way that they are, aren't they? So the devil would have 
who would would have taken any of those off- offers and run with it, you know. So yeah, he assumes yeah. that Jesus is going to because yeah. that's his experience. Yeah. But anyway, sorry, Jamie. Well, I was just going to make one final point, which is that it reminds me of the um, the aspect of the atonement, uh, which is often spoken about by the patristic fathers, where they talk about the atonement as a kind of trick played on the devil. Um, and so you can see this. Um, this is actually the way C.S. Lewis depicts it in the, the line, the witch in the wardrobe as well. The devil thinks he's getting something good out of the death of Christ, but actually the devil doesn't understand, if you like, the deeper wisdom or the deeper magic of God. And so what comes out of it in the end is um, is the devil's when the devil um, uh, thinks he's achieving his greatest victory, he's actually being defeated. And that's um, that's also uh, it's wonderfully embodied in in the Lord of the Rings as well, the way that the uh, the eye of Sauron is turned towards the ostensible power of the the, the race of men, uh, when in fact it's it's the little hobbits who are coming in, and they're you know they're the ones who are going to bring about his downfall. So it's like the devil oftentimes doesn't understand what true power, what true wisdom is, because of his pride and because he's puffed up and because he thinks in that way. So that's that's um, there's, there's an old Amish saying, "God loves little people." Yeah, that's nice, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, as you say, pride is a narrowing of the imagination. Mm. Uh, and so we have in Satan someone who is a slave to his own lived experience, which mm. might be very timely for the current situation we find ourselves in. Mm. Only my experience is true. True yeah. freedom is actually found in serving God, mm. which is as the College for Peace tells us. Uh, yes, his service is perfect freedom. Yes. Mm. Which we all read every day, of course, Tom. Of course we do. Uh, that was a good, good one. Um, just a little bit from an email from a listener. Jay, I'm going to have to go actually because I've realised what the time is. Um, okay. Uh, so I'm going to leave you and Daniel to to uh, to to um, digest the, this one. Do the email. Do the email. Um, Thanks, Tom. Bless you all. Thank you, everyone. Bless you. Um, so I won't read this whole email out, Daniel, but just to say that this uh, listener basically put some stuff on social media, which was in line with his views as a, a Christian. He's an evangelical Christian. And he was reported there was a complaint made about him by someone who works with him. Uh, he was let off the disciplinary action because it came down to a technicality. Uh, however, they said that they will now change their guidelines, social media guidelines. So if he identifies where he works and posts controversial comment, uh, they could take action. And he said it's a very woke organization. Uh, and the majority who heard about it were very offended by him and what he wrote. He didn't actually tell me what he wrote. But then there's he sent me through and he said that he's happy for me to read some of this out, a disciplinary impact statement. Um, and I'll just read some of this. So this is the person who made the complaint about our listener. So this person writes, I felt disappointed because I den- genuinely liked him. I thought he was top and I invested my time and energy into connecting with him because he made me smile and he was just a lot of fun to be around. I never thought that he would hold any negative views about me based on my queerness. I know his faith is important to him, but I was raised Christian. So I know that there are many ways to hold faith, love and kindness next to each other. For so many of us, they actually reinforce each other. God made us in their image. <laughs> Sounds it's starting to sound like the Rainbow Creed. Uh, God made us in their image, and if their image is perfect, then so am I. And if it's not, then let's welcome the complex and multifaceted nature of our existence with humility and kindness. Because if God can't be perfect, then maybe perfection isn't actually the goal. A lot of theological thoughts in there. Uh, since learning that he doesn't see me as an equal or worthy of the same existence, I thought about it every day. I'm very loudly and proudly queer, so I can't imagine anyone has worked with me without knowing this. I literally founded and ran the LGBTQ plus network app, wherever it is, 
It feels very strange to know someone sat across from me playing along as I was trying to make friends when they actually saw me as inherently inferior or not worthy of time on this earth. This is only made worse by knowing that as far as I'm aware, he still doesn't recognize that his views are harmful to people like me. The last I heard, he generally thought I had misunderstood what he's saying, which feels like a slap in the face because there is no possible way that a social media post on a public platform will ever be so nuanced and complex that I don't understand when someone is directly attacking my community and my safety. Phrases like the alphabet mafia's time will come to an end soon still make my entire body want to shake with fear and sadness. In a world where the vast majority of young people are safer than ever before to be themselves, it truly breaks my heart to know that there are people working directly with young people who won't keep them safe. If you're working with young people secretly or publicly hoping that they fundamentally change themselves to be worthy of saving, then you are harming them. As someone who is raised with negative stereotypes and views around the LGBTQIA plus community, I was closeted well into my 20s. I think she's added to the... The letters there, hasn't he? Added a mm. I in the N and A. Being closeted as a young person was a significant factor in me lacking any sense of self worth, meaning uh, I never protected myself. And as a result, I experienced violence and assaults in my teens and 20s. I spent more time and energy than I can begin to explain, healing enough to be strong, proud, and kind. I do not want another generation to need the kind of support and care I have needed in my life. I want that time and those resources directed elsewhere, but I know that without support, I would not be alive today. Please don't let that be true of another generation. So that's the impact statement uh, there, Daniel. Um, any any thoughts on that? It's this culture of safetyism, isn't it, that is taken to the extreme, like net zero, no one's safe till everyone's safe. And there can be, there has to be, always these this eradication of any anything that is opposite it's a very mechanical view of what we can be as a society so this impact statement has somebody who feels unsafe well the world is an unsafe place full stop you know what what are you expecting of the world that that that, that would be my first question you know, then they're part of the LGBTQI plus community. Well, what what is a community? Um, how? Surely we're just talking about a series of individuals who have, you know, particular sexual preferences. The idea of giving it the idea of community seems um, massively over the top. So that word's always overplayed, doesn't it? Um, the the fact that he creates the straw man of uh, H has um, ha- has these opinions. Therefore, he he must want or think that they are a, a second class human being. Mm. You know it, it, that that's making inferences that I, that I suspect are not there at all. Um, you know, and you only have to be in, have been in places like um, you know the, the, the Soviet world to have seen how that plays out. When uh, if you're not with us, then you're you're definitely violently against us. Yeah. When it may just be that you just don't agree with Marxism as a way of running the economy. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, but it's, it's this, it's this implication, isn't it, that if you yeah. if you think that if you choose to live a different way and um, you think that 
the way somebody else lives is not the right way, then you hate that person. It's mm-hmm. it's just not a warranted inference, is it? Uh, but this is the, what what I think this person is doing is saying that because you disagree with my lifestyle choices, um, and I identify with those lifestyle choices so closely that they're actually part of my identity, that means that you hate me. And I think that's really, really um, a really insidious way of, of thinking about things. Uh, apart from anything else, it just means that there can never be any sort of disagreement without it being so intensely acrimonious and and violent, really. I mean, it, it makes it makes disagreement into a kind of assault on the person. Uh, and it means that your your views, you know, the things you're actually thinking in your mind are, 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 are potentially... Um, well, I don't know. Things that should be legislated against, things mm. that you should be in prison for, just just things you think. Um, so I think it's quite dangerous, really. Doesn't it come back to that analysis of Alistair McIntyre in his seminal After Virtue, which he published in 1980, where he essentially says that power can be disguised as feelings Yeah, when we end up in a motivist culture and it's about he who shouts the loudest um wins mm. rather than us all sitting back and rationally working out what is a good and virtuous life and what is right and wrong yeah uh, it's it's yeah. about my lived experience it's about my feelings and if you're not being inclusive then you need to be cancelled yeah i agree with that and i've, I've been reading patrick deenan's new book which is called uh, regime change and he makes a similar point actually talking about the way that you know society as mcintyre intimates in his book you know society used to be ordered around a kind of vision of the common good um and and now what we're seeing is the deployment of that sort of liberal harm principle that comes from john stuart mill you know the idea that uh, basically any action is is okay as long as it doesn't harm anyone else but we can see here actually what's going on is the employment of that uh, principle in terms of identity politics and it's actually being wielded as in a kind of authoritarian move so mm. the harm principle rather than actually causing the maximum amount of freedom is actually ironically uh, being used to police people's speech and uh, i would as i was saying people's beliefs and, and people's thoughts because anyone can claim they're being harmed you know by by somebody else's viewpoints and that's and in some ways that's true like you know Viewpoints are offensive. Like I find certain viewpoints that that people out there in the culture hold offensive. Like I find it offensive that people think that babies should be killed, at, at, you know, when they're in the womb, and especially when they're at a certain age. I find that offensive. Uh, but, it, but clearly, if you go me? down that line, you end up with a society which is a um, a spectrum, or dare I say, rainbow of um, uh, of egregious opinions that. You get a competing, um, you get competing claims of victimhood, don't you? So, like the greatest victim ultimately ends up being the most powerful person because they're the people. They're, that's the person who can limit the ability of other people to operate in the way that they want to. So it's a kind of, it's a, yeah, it's it's a sort of um, hierarchy of oppression that you mm. end up with. Uh, a couple of like- weeks ago, I saw that Jordan Peterson put a tweet out, um, re- retweeting, I think, something of. Richard Dawkins had said, a moan that Dawkins was having about identity politics and said, this is your love child, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, absolutely. Because because people like Dawkins, their metaphysics, 
um implies that there is no there can be no sort of objectively shared vision of the of the common good because all there is is just you know atoms and you know dancing to their dna and all that kind of stuff so i think i think peterson's probably right about that but you know um the question then for peterson would be well how do you in the absence of um in the in the absence of the christian metaphysic how do you therefore um pre- present to the world a common good which there which people can can coalesce around without some kind of religious vision of of the world and i think that would be a, you know many things mm. what peterson says are very inspiring and i i've personally benefited massively from him uh, but but i think he's also in need of taking that final step into a into a religious paradigm i don't know anything about the victim of uh, you know the ostensible victim of h's views um but uh obviously if this person was if something happened to this person, you know, talks about violence and assaults in my tweens and twenties, then this person obviously has a huge amount of sympathy, and and that's that's very much not right mm. at all. So you know, we're, we're not advocating for that uh, in in any way. But that doesn't mean that everything that's said here is something that we therefore have to agree with. And I think also that the theology is is um, it's not. Um, it's not right, really, is it? God made us in their image, and if their image is perfect, then so am I. Well, that would that would imply that anything that any human being does is um, somehow reflective of the image of God. Well, well again, we see that in progressivism, isn't it? It's, it's, it's an essential rejection of the fall as a story. Yeah, yeah. That that they find that indigestible, uh, and also I think what we have here is a in this super safe world that's being proposed, this utopia. You, know, you have to ask your question, well, how sustainable is that as a way of living out through things where you're going to go around expecting no disagreement? Um, yeah, complete acceptance. No discomfort. Yeah. Is that is that realistic? You know, what what if what if the culture changed very rapidly? How would you adjust to uh, the barbarians at the gate? Mm. Because they're not going to be interested in your lived experience and your feelings. Yeah. And also, Daniel, there's a, there's a bit of a double standard here, isn't there? So they're saying, well, if I'm made in God's image, then everything I do is somehow reflective of God's image. Well, then surely the, the person who, who wrote these things on social media is also made in God's image and is reflecting God's image through his um, opposition as well. It's, it's not it's not very consistent. Uh, anyway, Daniel, we should, probably, we should probably bring things to an end there. This is going to be a monster episode um have you got a collect or something we could we could do i could yeah. check something out if you don't but yeah be great uh, i don't have a co- uh let's... just anything anything almighty and everlasting god by whose spirit the whole body of the church is governed and sanctified hear our prayer which we offer for all your faithful people that in their vocation their ministry and their calling they may serve you in holiness and truth to the glory of your name, Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, everyone who's listening. If you'd like to listen to the bonus podcast, Uncollared, then please do go to our Patreon account, irreverentpod.com, click on the big red button and become a subscriber today. And you can listen to it and get the episodes earlier and and loads of other great things. Well, actually, they're the main ones, but uh, we'd really appreciate that. Thank you, everyone else, for listening. Thank you for being with us this time and we're looking forward to being with you again next time. Bye for now.